0: What Calvary said, I love you, written in red. What a wonderful reminder of how much God loves us. Well, take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you men to know this is not just to the women. I know the title is The Marks of a Godly Woman, but I'm going to show you in just a minute that uh, really everything in the Bible that said here pertains to us as well. In fact, it says right there in the text, I'll show you. In fact, just to make sure, we'll read through verse 7 so you'll see it for yourself. But when you find 1 Peter 3, let's stand together as we show our respect for God's word. This is the word of the living God from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and are not frightened about anything alarming. All right, men, pay attention. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now I want to put this in context today because any scripture that is used out of context becomes a proof text and that is not my intent today. Peter is writing to a world in which Christianity has only been in existence for a short time. Uh, Jesus died in 33 AD and the church began when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. The book of Acts talks about how they went all over the world. The apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter became the apostle to the Jews for the most part. And the New Testament epistles are written for the instruction of the church. In this epistle, Peter is writing to new Christians who have come to faith in Christ. In the New Testament world, there basically were three groups of people. There was a very large group of people who were very poor and they lived in slavery to others. That was a large portion of the Roman world. The next group was a very small group and it would be what we would call today the middle class. These were people who had skills such as blacksmiths and things like that. People who worked with leather, people who who uh, made tents, as Paul did. Uh, they were not the extremely wealthy, but neither were they slaves. And then the other class uh, was the wealthy. And so, in the New Testament world, you were in one of those three classes. The largest two. Uh, the larger by far being the slaves, the next largest being the rich people, and then a very small middle class. Now, when a person became a Christian, it changed their lives. Amen. I hope when you became a Christian, it changed your life. If it didn't, you better check your salvation. In fact, that's one way I know I'm saved. I'm not like I used to be. I'm not what God wants me to be yet, but I'm not what I used to be. I'm making progress, and I hope that you can say the same thing today. But in those days, when you became a Christian, it changed your life. And what happened is many of these women who were slaves became Christians. And they were married to husbands who were probably also slaves, and the husbands did not become Christians. Sometimes a wealthy woman became a Christian, and her husband was not a Christian. This particular passage deals specifically with how to win your lost husband to Christ if you're a Christian and he's not. But it's in the context of how to live for Christ in that world. In fact, the first section, when he says in verse 1, in the same way, wives, what's it talking about? You go back in chapter 2, and Peter's talking about slaves. How to live in subjection as a slave to honor Christ and to win your master to faith in Christ, even as a slave. And then in the first part of chapter 3, Peter talks to women whose husbands are not yet believers. And he says, if you want to help them become believers, this is what you ought to do. But as those were instructions for specific things, they also can apply to all of us. And then lastly, notice this husbands. He says, husbands in the same way. Now, when it says in the same way, in verse 1, it means the same thing that was said about slaves is true about wives. In verse 7, the same thing that was said about slaves slaves, and wives is true to husbands. And so what Peter is doing is he's saying, here's how you behave in the marketplace, and here's how you behave in the home place. And then later on in this epistle, he says, here's how you behave in the church. That puts it into context. But there are basically three things that Peter says are the marks of a godly woman, but all these apply to us. Now, Patrick, I'm glad you're here this morning because uh, what rank are you now, son? Specialist. All right. So you moved up a little bit, right? You're not a general yet, I guess. Okay. Is specialist just below general or something. What well, way below general. Okay. Uh, and, and probably you get a little more money when, when you got to be a specialist too. That wasn't bad. All right. What does that mean? That means that when Patrick is in the army, as a specialist, some guys are under you, right? But they're guys over you. And the guys under you do what you say. And the guys over you, they tell you what to do. All right. Patrick is in submission to his... Commanding officers. He's in submission to higher ranking non-commissioned officers. He understands what it means because the word submit here is the Greek word hupotasso. And it's literally a military term and it talks about lining up under. And so when you have an army, especially in those days, if you had your army organized, you see up until now, most of the people had just kind of been disorganized. Now the Roman army learned how to march in rows. They learned how to set up for battle. And that's what made them so effective. They could defeat a larger foe because they were well-trained. Well, God wants us to apply the same things that apply to the military, to our Christian life. Just as there are people over soldiers to train them how to fight, God is over us, and he tells us how we are to war in the spiritual warfare for Christ. Now, like what Billy Graham said this month in Decision Magazine, he said only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in molding the character of her children. If you know anything about Billy Graham, you know that he gives Ruth Graham, his wife, uh, the credit for raising his children, his children and her children, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because he was gone so much. He said, I was all over the world. In fact, when we toured the Billy Graham Library last year, it was kind of ironic. Wayne Atchison, who was giving us the guide, said that Billy Graham... And George Beverly Shea and Cliff Barris literally were gone most of the time when they were young and they were active in crusades. He said they would be gone literally for weeks at a time. They would go to Europe and stay for weeks. They would go to Africa and stay for weeks. While they were gone, their wives raised their children. He said you'd think with all that travel that those men would have died before their wives. He said uh, without exception, every one of those husbands outlived their wives. Now, that tells me there was a lot more pressure at home than there was out doing crusades all over the world. Uh, in fact, if you go to the Billy Graham Library, you'll see Ruth Graham's grave, and you'll see Cliff Bear's wife grave. Now, George Beverly Shea's first wife died many years ago before they had the Billy Graham Library, and they did not move her. But George Beverly Shea, at, at 104, imagine that. You know, Paula, that's how you get, you get to live a long time, be a singer, Man, old George Beverly, he was just singing, and God gave him a song for 104 years. That's pretty good. You know, we'll have a big crowd in the choir Wednesday night for me saying that. All these uh, folks that are getting older say, hey, I want to live a long time, I better join the choir. But uh, they all died, the, the wives all died before the men did. And I think that's why Billy Graham said that. But ladies, don't ever take your role in life for granted. The old statement, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world, is still true today. But these three marks can be applied to every one of us. First of all, submission. He says wives in the same way as he's told slaves to submit to their masters. And by the way, that does not condone slavery. It just just emphasized that it did exist. It was a fact in the Roman world. The Bible never condones slavery. But in the ancient world, if you were defeated as a nation, you could be taken slaves into another country. It happened all the time. Uh, Look at Daniel how he was taken as a slave to Babylon. So it happened all the time. So slavery was a fact, the Bible never condones it, but it says, if you're a slave, be submissive to your master. It says, if your wife be submissive to your husband, and this says husbands in the same way. So that means everything that goes for slaves, wives goes for husbands. But what does submission really mean? First of all, you need to submit to God. You need to submit to God. Again, it means to line up under. You need to make sure that you're lined up under God. Now, listen, friends, please hear me say this. Don't trust church membership to get you into heaven. Now, a lot of times I talk to people today and I ask them about, tell me about your experience with Christ. They'll say, well, well I go to the Baptist church over here. And, and listen, I'm glad you go to church. Listen, I never fuss at folks, for going church. I wish, I wish more people, and man, this looks great. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'd love to see this kind of crowd every week. We ought to have this kind of crowd every week, not just on, on Mother's Day. Mother's Day, by the way, is in the big three now. It's Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day in that order. What happens on Father's Day? Pfft, nothing. <laughs> I'm going to honor Dad. I'm going fishing today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go watch NASCAR today. That's what Daddy would want me to do. Now, the fact that you're here is a tribute to your mom uh, because you, you're honoring her by being in God's house on Mother's Day. But all of us need to line up under... God's umbrella. You know, that's what authority is. Authority is an umbrella. Uh, We had some folks ask me one time about why, how can we have a, a woman worship leader? Well, Baptist faith and message says this. It says that a woman can serve in any capacity in a Baptist church other than the senior pastor. That's what it says. And I told that to some folks. I said, Baptist Faith and Message says it. We're Baptists. We live by the Baptist faith and message. They decided they weren't Baptists anymore. And you know what? I said, goodbye. You know, so long. Because we're Baptists, you know. Uh, I'm not going to change the Baptist faith message to the few popes that didn't agree with it. Let me tell you why we can have a woman worship leader. Do you know whose authority she's under? She's under the authority of her husband. She is under the umbrella of her husband's authority, and her husband is under the umbrella of God's authority. He's under the umbrella of God's Word and under the umbrella of God's Spirit, and she is under her husband's umbrella of authority. That's what submission is all about. When I submit to God, I say, God, you are in charge of my life. I want to line up my life the way you want it to be lined up. I don't want to do something you don't want me to do. And, and Lord, I, I don't want to run ahead of you. I don't want to get behind you. I want to have your authority present in my life at all times. In fact, every day when I get up, I yield to God. This morning I got up, I yielded to God. The first conscious thought I have every morning is, Lord, this is the day that you've made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And I want to serve you all of this day. And am I always successful? No. Sometimes I have to Ask forgiveness for things I, I shouldn't have done, or maybe not for not doing something I should have done, but I submit to God. That, that's what I'm, I submit to when women need to submit first to God. Then we all need to submit to god 's word. Isn't it wonderful that we have God's word? Do you realize that up until about 400 years ago, you probably would not have had a Bible unless you were the preacher, and if you had it, it would have been in Latin, and you'd had to know Latin to be able to read it. Four hundred and one, uh, two years ago. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible became available. Now, young people, listen to me. There are more opportunities for you to study God's Word today than there ever have been. You ought to be the most biblically literate generation the world has ever known. But let me tell you what you're becoming. Your generation is becoming. I'm not talking about you individually, but I'm talking about your generation. Your generation is becoming the most ungodly generation And I'm not putting you down. I'm glad you're in God's house. you're, You're in the right place. But a lot of your friends don't have any idea who God is. A lot of your friends don't have any idea what the Bible is. And yet today, we have more opportunity. You know, you can take Bible classes online. We have a class from New Orleans Seminary. When I went to seminary, you had to go to seminary. When Brother Paul went to seminary, you had to go to seminary. Uh, they didn't bring the seminary to you online. There wasn't anything online. The only line was at the cafeteria. You stood in line at the seminary cafeteria to eat red beans and rice, what you did. But that was the only online thing I knew about at seminary. But now, I mean, we even have a program in Angola prison in Louisiana. Where's Tony Griffin? There he is over there. I'm not saying Tony's ever been to Angola. He may have been to visit, I hope. But uh, Tony, you're from Louisiana. You know how bad Angola used to be Angola had more murders than any prison in the United States per capita. Well, several years ago, they came to Dr. Chuck Kelly at New Orleans Seminary and they said, how about coming and teaching the Bible classes to our students? And so they started and they said, hey, why don't we let these people get a seminary education? Most of the people who take that course in Angola are never going to get out of jail. They're repeat offenders. Many of them will die in jail. You know what they've done though? They have started taking seminary classes in prison, and now the violence and the murder rate has gone drastically down. Now they're sending missionaries from Angola. They get out of Angola and they get carried to another prison where they start the same thing. Listen, there's no reason today to be illiterate about the Bible, and yet this is the most illiterate generation about. You ask people about the Bible, most of the people don't know anything. There's a problem there. How can you be submitted to the Bible if you don't know what it says? How can you know the Bible if you don't study it? So submit to God, submit to the Bible, and then submit to leaders. Now, I'm not up here today as a dictator. I'm up here as the pastor of this church. Let me remind you, as pastor of this church, I submit to God. I submit to the Bible. I submit to the Holy Spirit. And let me say this, one day when I stand before God, I am going to be responsible for every word I have ever said in this pulpit or anywhere else I've been as the pastor, as the under-shepherd of this church. Do you think that is an awesome responsibility? I assure you it is. And I also assure you nobody wants this church to do God's will more than I do. But I'm not a dictator. You say, how are you not a dictator? Because I'm under God. I'm under God's word. I'm under God's spirit. And, and, and when we do things like that, we can move and we can accomplish a lot because I don't want the glory. Because if I get the glory, then I've done the wrong thing. I want God to get the glory. Melanie and Reed, when they allowed me to share their story, they said, make sure God gets the glory. And he did. He did. Because they know it, it was a miracle of God. And we thank God for that. But that's up to him. So we need to be Under authority, there is protection afforded in submitting. Secondly, the marks of a godly woman or a godly person that they observe your pure lives. This is saying you don't have to preach them a sermon. Now, listen, ladies, I didn't say we didn't have women preachers, okay? I said we don't have women pastors. I want you to tell you, some of the best sermons I've ever heard have been from women. You say, you mean you listen to women preachers? You ever heard Beth Moore? Uh Uh-huh. Priscilla Shire, is that, that name ring a bell? Okay, all right. Uh, listen, uh, there's nothing wrong with a woman preaching. Uh, there were women evangelists uh, in the book of Acts. That's what it says. I believe the Bible, and the Bible says there were women evangelists. They didn't say they were pastors, said they were winning people to Christ. That was wonderful. But notice, they said here, even if you never preach a sermon, you can win them by your pure lives. And this is an interesting word. It's the Greek word "hagnen, and it comes from the word "hagios." which is translated sometimes pure or chaste, but it also means clean, unblemished, or holy. Now, this is true for not just the women, guys. It's true for us. Likewise, you husbands. Our lives as Christians are to reflect the holiness of God working in and through us. Now, what that means is, is that I have to keep my thoughts holy, I have to keep my words holy, and I have to keep my actions holy. Holy. Do you know where most sin begins? Right here. Right here. Nobody ever sinned. You know, if, if I got mad at somebody and I wanted to hit them with my fist, did that sin begin in my fist? No. It began in my brain that said, hit him. Hit him. Uh, we, we have eight little lab puppies at our house, and, and they're funny because you think that they're killing each other. I mean, every now and then I hear something, I thought, oh, no, it's dead, it's dead. I go over there, and they're licking each other and playing. But they'll bite one another. Now, why does that lab puppy bite his brother or sister? Because he's a dog. And that's what dogs do. Okay? Why do we fight? Because we're people. And that's what people do. But let me tell you, that's not what redeemed people do. It's wrong to resolve any problem with physical violence. Hear me say this. The only time I ever tell a married couple to separate is when there's physical abuse because that is wrong. Hear me say that. If you abuse your wife, men, you're wrong. If you abuse her verbally, if you abuse her emotionally, if you abuse her physically, you are wrong. And you ladies, if you get abused, don't call me. Call the police, all right? Because I can't come over there and take your husband and lock him up. Well, I could, but then they lock me up for doing that to him. Uh, now, Evie Hill used to have a committee in his church out in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Evie Hill, the great African American preacher, he had said they had a committee called the Wife Beating Committee. And he said it was the biggest, meanest, orneryest men in the church but it was men who treated their wives right. And he said, anytime a sister in his church got beat up by her husband, the wife beating committee paid a call on the husband. And he said, they never made a second visit. <laughs> he said, they would convince that husband. Now I'm not saying we're gonna do that at First Baptist Pelham, all right? Some of you are, hey, really, I don't know, that's my committee preacher. Maybe I've been wanting to hit somebody for a long. No, no, no. You see, violence doesn't begin in the fist, it begins in the mind. Sin begins in the mind. You need to remember that. We need to be holy. Thirdly, we need to be reverent. This is the Greek word phobos. It's translated fear, respectful, or reverent. The reverence and respect we owe to all people is because they are made in the image of God. But our respect and reverence toward our own family members is because of our desire to encourage, bless, and honor them. Listen, do you think we'd have shootings in schools today if we had a reverence for life? No you think we'd have bullying? Bullying is a real problem in schools. I used to get bullied as a child. I was a fat boy and people called me names and made fun of me and I had two choices. I could let them hurt my feelings and cry or I could knock their block off. I wasn't saved at the time and I just decided one day I'm tired of people calling me fat boy And I had a guy on the the field at the playground one time, and he called me fat boy. You know that boy never called me fat boy again. He ended up with a fat boy sitting on his shoulders with his knees and banging his head on the dirt of the playground. And guess what? Everybody that saw that never called me fat boy again. Okay? Now, I'm a fat boy. Don't call me that. I might revert to my boyhood ways. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because that's not the way you solve problems. The way you solve problems is you show respect and reverence for everybody. You say, what if they don't deserve it? Well, you show it anyway. Because we live at a higher scale than they do. What are action steps? Submit to all in authority. God, the Bible, church leaders, civic leaders, family leaders. When you are under the umbrella of submission, you're protected by a higher power. Number two, practice purity in mind, word, and deeds. Remember, sin begins not with the flesh but with the mind. Number three, be respectful because God, who deserves the utmost respect, is pleased when we show respect to others. That'll end bullying. That'll end all the problems. That'll end school shootings. That'll end drive-by shootings if you show respect for life. That's what the problem is in America. We don't have purity and reverence and submission anymore in our society. I like what Chuck Swindoll says in, church, in verses 3 and 4. Peter contrasts cosmos with cardia. It's talking about adorning there. It's talking about what you ladies call putting on your face, okay? It's what we men call war paint, all right? Uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's the old term for it, put on your war paint. Uh, but uh, that's the cosmos. In fact, you get the word. You see the word cosmetic there, cosmos, cosmetic? And, and that makes you look a certain way. But Peter says that's the external but he says on the internal, it's matters of the heart. It's not that I, there's anything wrong with putting makeup on. It's making sure that when you put makeup on the outside, you've got a pure heart on the inside, displaying the virtue. That's more important. Now, I had a birthday this week. I was 65. I still hadn't found my birth certificate. One thing, we get old, you can't remember where you put stuff. You know, I'm, I'm still looking for a child we had years ago. I don't know where I put him. Maybe I'll find him one day. Uh, but, and and, and I, when, I don't know, if Bob, I don't know if, since your birthday day if you've been nostalgic at all yet, you know, but I got real nostalgic on my birthday, especially by the time I was born. I was born at 5.15 on Friday evening on May 7th. May 9th was Mother's Day. I was my Mother's Day present to my mom. I didn't buy her anything, but I was my Mother's Day present to my mom, all seven pounds and 11 ounces of me. And... Uh, when my mother took me home, my mother and dad had been married 13 years before I was born. And I had an aunt who was married, and she'd been married about 11 years, and they hadn't had any children. And my aunt wasn't working, and my mother worked it, had been working, but she'd been laid off. And So when I was born, I had two women in the house that sat on one. They had a little wooden cradle they had made. It had little, little rockers on it. It wasn't, wasn't a store-bought thing. It was a handmade thing because that's what you did back in those days. My great-grandfather made it for me. And I wish I could find it. I don't know what happened to it. But I, they said I would, they would put me in that little cradle. And one of them would sit on this side and the other one sit on the other side. And they'd look at me. And if I hiccuped, I got picked up. They were so afraid I was going to die before I got grown. And I was thinking about those stories that they told me about how my mother loved me and how my aunt loved me. And it dawned on me, I have never known a day in my life when somebody didn't love me. Now listen to me, and I want to tell you this. You say, well, preacher, I didn't have that experience. Let me tell you this. There has never been a moment in your life when God did not love you supremely. Whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you're rebelling against God, God loves you. I thought how blessed I was. 65 years old. Can't remember a day in my life when I wasn't loved by God and by my family and by church members and by friends. When you think about that, we need to submit to God. We need to be pure on the inside. And we need to display reverence by showing honor and by showing compassion on everybody else. Those are attributes not only of a godly woman, but of a godly person. Let me challenge you today to leave here today determined to submit to God, to submit to his word, to practice purity in your heart and mind, and to show reverence for not just the things of God, but for all life, because God is the creator of all of this. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, what a wonderful day to come into your house and celebrate your goodness to us. Father, what a joy to dedicate these homes, these young parents, these precious children. And Lord, what a a joy to think of how you're working in the lives of your people to make us more like Jesus. And Father, even our Lord Jesus Christ showed submission when in the Garden of Gethsemane he said, Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Father, may we show our submission to you by submitting to you, submitting to your word, by submitting to those who lead us, whether it be a pastor, a worship leader, staff member, whether it be a boss at work, or whether it be a police officer on the street. Father, help us to be in submission to you that the world might realize there is help for those who need help in times of trouble. And you are our source of strength. Lord, help us to be submissive. Help us to be pure. And help us to be reverent for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.